Hey everybody and happy Sunday. James Briarton here in Charlotte. So last Thursday we had our first taste of winter and we have the numbers in now to tell you what those final snowfall amounts were or maybe weren't in certain necks of the woods. Certainly this is not all of the observations. We would be here for hours, but let's start here in Charlotte where at WCNC we had about five inches of snowfall accumulated. If you checked atop the cars and the grassy surfaces, it managed to melt away pretty soon. Turnersburg, half an inch. Roman County, just under an inch. One inch in Wadesboro. High Point, you came in at 1.3. Greensboro, inch and a half, along with Newburn. Bumpkin County had two inches, as did the following locations. Locations, Burlington, Durham, Northern Burke County, PTI Airport, Sampson, and Summerfield all came in at two. At two and a third, Pamlico Beach, Banner Elk had two and a half along with Pittsburgh. Troy, you came in at two. Point eight. Let's make our way now up to that three-inch line in Amoco County, Goldsboro, Goldsboro, that is, Lee County in Upton, just over three inches in Greenville, Hillsboro. Hamilton and Windsor coming up at three and a half at Oxford, Linwood, Wake Forest, Wilson County, Kingston. You came in at three and uh, about 3.7 inches, as did Nash County. Okay, the big 4 0 in Bunn, Eddington, Middleburg, Youngsville, four and a half in Franklinton, and our top three winners call coming in at 5 0. Conway, Gates, and Murfreesboro. Don't forget, next time weather happens near you, you can tweet it to the National Weather Service using hashtag NCWX or hashtag SCWX if it happens to be in South Carolina, and your report will go into the National Weather Service's official reporting on a snowstorm. So I hope you enjoyed the first taste of winter. I know a lot of kids were off on a Friday, whether or not you had any snow left or not. And now that you're here, we want to let you know to enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks so much for subscribing to the Carolina Weather Group. You have a wet week ahead, so keep that umbrella handy. And uh, what we want to do now is coming up after a very short break, we want to resurface for you an interview that we debuted last week with the NASA Impacts Project. They are out storm chasing winter storms to collect data using really cool planes and weather balloons and other equipment. And they're collecting data they couldn't otherwise have with the end goal of improving the accuracy and the intensity of winter storms. So we did debut this last week. If you heard it, then you're all up to speed. But I think a lot of people uh, maybe missed the second half of last week's episode with all of the breaking snow news going on. So we want to resurface that interview with NASA Impacts coming up after a short break. And then we'll see you back here real soon for more Carolina Weather Group. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We welcome you to our uh, latest edition of our little podcast, Weather live stream. And we're going to be talking about an interesting project tonight, the Snow Impact Project. You may have uh, heard about this project just recently released out on social media. Uh, NOAA and NASA and a lot of uh, different entities working uh, on better forecasting winter storms, and especially along the East Coast here where we live. That will be helpful because we know a variation in just a few miles can mean all the difference in snowfall forecasting. Tonight we have with us Lynn McMurdy. Uh, she's kind of leading up this uh, this research project. Uh, she is a associate professor at the Department of Atmospheric Science from the University of Washington. So, you know, last year on our 300 show, we were talking about um, the states that we've not had guests from. So we can mark Washington off that list. So now 
we're down to uh, I think six states that we've not had uh, any uh, any guests from. So, Lynn, welcome to the show tonight. Uh, definitely happy to have you. And I know it's a busy time as uh, we're in the midst of this research project. So, tell us a little bit about the project and um, maybe how it how it got it started and how how you guys came together to get this idea and get the ball rolling per se. Sure, happy to do that. I'm excited to be able to tell you all about it. Uh, so, uh, as you know, being a NASA project, we our name of our project is an acronym because everything is acronyms with NASA. And it, the name is called IMPACTS, and it stands for the Investigation of Microphysics and Precipitation for Atlantic Coast Threatening, threatening Snowstorms. So, in its name, it tells you a little bit about what we're doing. So um, I'm leading uh, this project with I, probably, I don't even know how many people are, I'm working with, probably hundreds. Uh, it was, uh, it's funded by NASA. It's a, a very large program that's a five-year project. In the middle three years, we'll be doing uh, gathering um, uh, data and gathering um, cases to study. And um, it's part of their Earth Venture Suborbital call for, uh, for projects. And this means instead of NASA funding a, a somebody's idea about satellites, this is using aircraft. So suborbital means below the orbit of the Earth. So uh, the main uh, way that we are uh, performing our uh, investigation is through aircraft observations. So what we're trying to do is, uh, as you well know, uh, snowstorms which occur all winter in this part of the, uh, of the country are pretty difficult to forecast. Uh, they're fairly complex systems. They consist of large cloud shields that stretch, can be as far as Florida, way up into Canada. And within those, those big complex cloud uh, parts of the storm, there's narrow bands of more intense snowfall. We call them snow bands. And it's that uh, smaller scale, those smaller scale features, uh, usually near the low center of the storm itself that we are specifically trying to investigate. We're trying to understand the processes that form the snow bands that make how they change as a storm evolves and why some storms have a lot of snow bands and others have like absolutely none and yet they both are producing snow so um, that's kind of the science focus of it and our observational strategy involves uh, primarily two uh, aircraft uh, one of them uh, will fly high above the clouds. It's um, the e NASA's ER-2. It can fly at 20 kilometers elevation, or which is 68,000 feet, or twice as high as a commercial aircraft. Uh, and it has equipped with remote sensing instrumentation. So everybody's probably familiar with weather radars. Uh, this, uh, this airplane has four different radars, all different wavelengths. So they're sensitive to different portions of the storm. There's one that's a cloud radar, so it can see the small cloud size drops and, and others are more rain and snow radars. They see the bigger drops. It also has uh, microwave, remote, uh, microwave radiometers and uh, those are types of uh, instruments that we often fly on satellites to measure precipitation from space. So that ER2 is, is, flies above the, the clouds way up high and looking at the storm remotely and underneath in coordination observing the same portion of the storm 
is our uh, the NASA's P3 Orion, and it flies inside the clouds, and it has a multitude of instrumentation, and the major ones are these uh, cloud and precipitation probes, which actually essentially take pictures and count the sizes and the, the pictures of the snowflakes as they form. We fly it at different levels to see where the beautiful dendrites form, where the needles form, and then fly underneath and they aggregate into large big blobs of snow that eventually falls on the ground. Um, we also have some ground instrumentation specifically for this project and that, and that includes a whole uh, array of different radars and other uh, snow measuring equipment, uh, mostly on uh, Long Island with my colleagues at Stony Brook. So um, one of the things you asked me to mention is like who's involved. So obviously I have a large crew of people uh, involved with NASA, but the National Weather Service is also involved. They are uh, sending up extra Raywind songs. So we measure the profile of the atmosphere more frequently during these snowstorms. We just request them to, can you please put up some more at Albany and at, the, at their usual places, they'll add more Raywind song launches when we're flying, you know, at the time periods that we're interested in. So they've been really helpful. And they're also been extremely helpful with uh, helping our, my student and grad, and, uh, grad student and uh, postdoc uh, forecasters trying to, you know, tell, give them some uh, local expertise. Flying so, in a, a winter type of storm, does it present any additional challenges versus like the hurricane hunters who fly in warm core systems? Well, that's a good question. Uh, the, the two different systems are pretty different. The hurricane hunters typically fly fairly high and what they're doing is trying to get different profiles of the uh, environment of the hurricane and try to uh, get a good estimate of what the central pressure is. So they're kind of after a different kind of uh, problem and they fly fairly high so they're well away from any kind of icing problems. So for us flying in snowstorms in the winter, um, it depending, like uh, this last case, we actually flew, it was rain on the, on the surface, but the structure of the storm was the same. So we flew in it, but icing was an issue that we had to watch out for. Um, I think our main challenge is getting airspace to do the maneuvers that we, would, that we want to do to sample these storm systems. So, but so far, uh, the uh, air traffic controls have been extremely helpful and very accommodating. Uh, on our first flight, uh, we were kind of messing around in uh, upstate New York and Vermont, but then we wanted to go across Long Island. And when you looked at, uh, there's these, uh, you know, apps called like FlightAware, you can watch where all the airplanes are. They kind of cleared out a corridor and let our plane go through. <laughs> it was like, oh man, that's, that is very, uh, like, that was really great of them to do that for us. So that, um, even though it's challenging and you have, but, uh, we're trying to do our best to uh, not demand too much and do we do whatever they tell us to do. Is your aircraft on flight aware? Is it something people can track when you're on these? Yeah, it is something people can track. Yeah, definitely. According to uh, the website I found, which is this, uh, a NASA website, it's November yeah. 806 NA and November 809 NA. So I just couldn't remember where the N and the NA were. So <laughs> I'm, we like I'm glad. to make it difficult in aviation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. Cool. 
these airplanes, uh, especially uh, NASA flies a lot, uh, uh, so does NOAA or, and, and um, my colleagues who get uh, National Science Foundation funds can also request uh, the NOAA or NASA flights. And so they very experienced crew in field campaigns like this. And each one has its unique way of doing operations. I think uh, we're not doing anything really clever, fancy, different, and never been done before. Uh, and a lot of our instrumentation has been used in many other projects. And in some ways that's good. It's kind of less risky. Um, uh, and we'll get good data right away. And uh, so it's, we, you know, banking on the experience from other campaigns. So I know specifically the focus of this project is for snow bands, uh, but does some of this data also feed into freezing rain and sleep forecasts as well? It might, yes. Uh, I think where what we're doing at this stage is we're first looking for any storm we can find. Um, the banded structures can result in different things at the surface. The bands form a loft, so at that at those levels, that's always a, a below freezing. And, and then the structure at the very lowest levels, the airplanes can't, you know, um, observe because you're going to crash them because you're flying so close to the surface. So if it happens to be a situation where there's pre-existing cold air down at the surface and that happens to turn into freezing rain instead of snow because it's warmer aloft, then yes, we will inform that. So. Um, uh, I've, you know, I've told, you know, told others that, you know, snow bands are, are, are wish list and the main thing we want to get for, but if the, if the storm happens to be warmer than your usual winter storm, the structures are similar and can apply, we can still learn the science of what makes those structures. Why does it organize in these narrow bands? Uh, that are maybe related to the low pressure center deepening or, or maybe not. There's different hypotheses that we're testing and we can test them with a variety of storms, including ones that have freezing rain and things like that. You know, Lynn, just off the cusp thinking, I, this may, correct me if I'm wrong, may be able to help predict or maybe forecast where we could actually see those intense bands set up where we see thunder snow. Is that Oh, that would be, you know, thanks for mentioning the thunderstorm, thundersnow, because for this year on the ER2, we do have an instrument that measures the electric field, which then relates to uh, lightning. So if thundersnow happens to occur, we will actually learn some really fascinating stuff. They've never flown this instrument uh, in situations where uh, in winter storms. So um, you're correct that one of the applications of the data that we're collecting should help us uh, improve forecasting in a variety of ways. Uh, the first way is first we will understand the processes much better. So the science will elevate our knowledge base. But then the direct measurements of those snow crystals and the environment they're forming in and what the liquid water content, the temperature, all these other parameters, these are things that our numerical models are also predicting but they, we have to do that, what we call using microphysical schemes. It's kind of like an algorithm that figures out how to do this. And they're, they're in, uh, invariably wrong <laughs> so that we don't have that portion of our numerical model very well uh, constrained. And, and you know, by having these direct measurements, we can see which one of these variety of microphysical schemes that you have a choice to use when you run a 
forecast model, which one is the most correct uh, for these kinds of storms? They make assumptions like how much uh, is made into snowflakes, how much is made into solid ice, how much is remains in cloud liquid water. There's all the, those things are assumed in the numerical models, but we will measure those so we can tell the models, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't care how much snow fog comes out of that model. You're still not getting it right for the right reason. <laughs> so um, that's one of our key applications is uh, hopefully down the road, making improvements in our numerical models. What's it like? I mean, this has got to be probably the most difficult part of the research. Yes, it is. Where it takes us all week <laughs> to figure out, like, how would we fly this forecast that's, you know, 85 hours out? So far, everything's going great. You know, we've been lucky, um, but we haven't flown a lot of cases yet as you know it's been kind of a quiet winter <laughs> but maybe that's a good thing so we will be back again next year and we hope for a really active year and we really know how to go about this so this is even if we don't fly a lot this year we will have will have learned a lot we will have gotten pretty good data and um, and we're ready we're ready for a better year in the next two some of these you know ideal winter storms can be quite massive and stretch all the way from the southeast to the northeast. Right. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for the planes to cover the southeast on day one and then get to the northeast in time for the deepening low pressure? We would love to do that. The trouble is that these storms kind of move a little too fast. Um, the way uh, when you work with aircraft, you just, there, you know, there's a certain amount of time that they can fly because of how much fuel they can take. And also uh, for crew duty. So you ha they're very, very strict with how long a pilot can be operating the plane. The ER2, the one that flies really up here, uh, high, 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 is there's only one person on the plane and that's the pilot. So, and he wears a spacesuit. Like he has to, he's almost, he's almost uh, beyond the atmosphere, <laughs> he's so high up. So he has to, uh, we have to be sure that that person is uh, within the safe range. So. Uh, total crew duty is 12 hours. It can allow that includes the pre-flight routine and then landing and the post-flight routine. And then we are required to give them 12 hours off before we require them to show up again. So if my storm would move really slowly, I could probably do that. Well, and I know you mentioned that next year, uh, you know, the project's still going to be going on. How mm -hmm. long is it set for at the moment? We'll be, we're here now, and we're here to the end of February. And then next year, approximately the same, you know, another six-week window will be out here in the following year. So three winters. Uh, emergency management. Maybe if they, oh, yeah. um, you know, we get this research about um, where these heavier snow bands, like forecasting, uh, you, you know, maybe emergency management, that's where they put their assets at. I was just wondering, if, you know, what, who all... Yeah. Um, who all you can see the benefits from from this research? Yes, I can see like the the public at large, and of course the emergency management is part of that because they are the communicators from the forecasters to the public, and 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 they kind of make decisions about how to um, respond to any kind of threat like a snowstorm. So um, I I can see the public being you know benefiting uh, a lot in the long run. It, it, it's always hard to see the direct benefit. You know I'm going in, you know, geeking out about the great science I'm doing, but um, 
understanding these snowstorms better and then using that understanding to improve our forecasting. And when our forecasting is done better, and especially in terms of the distribution of snow and, and where it, those bands occur and do they set up and, and, you know, if it's one kind of storm, do we expect to get a lot more of these banded structures and therefore more localized regions of heavy snowfall? Or do we see that, you know, a different kind of storm would not have that and so there may be less of a worry. So, I, uh, yes, indeed, that'll eventually uh, benefit the public, our understanding, and then uh, applying that understanding to better forecasting. And better forecasting will help the managers be able to react in a timely manner to inform the public. I know it's kind of early into the project. Mm -hmm. What's the feedback been like so far? Thumbs up. It's great. We love it. Um, uh, we have one. The type of instruments I fl we fly on the P3 are kind of finicky and difficult instruments. So some of them have not been operating at the top as they could be. So that's some of the feedback we're trying to correct some problems or fix an instrument or two. Um, the data that I've been looking at looks really good, I think. Uh, some what you kind of are is exciting is so you look at it and go, I don't know what's going on <laughs> when you have that. Uh, kind of reaction. That's actually a good thing because it means you're going to learn something new. So I'm I'm excited about that. So far, I think everything we've collected really high quality data. We haven't lost anything. You know, like sometimes you know some your biggest worry is like somebody forgot to flip the switch and it didn't record. Like oh no, don't do that. <laughs> so so far, very you know, everybody knows what to do. They got all the switches turned on. Everything's good. And um, uh, so far, it looks great. So uh, we just need more storms. That's all I need. Well, we need some more storms too. We're hoping to. <laughs> we all need more storms. We, we need some more storms too. Well, Lynn, it's, it's been a fantastic discussion. I'm going to go ahead and close out. So everyone, thanks okay. for uh, watching the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you've enjoyed this discussion. Uh, Lynn, I want to ask you, if you don't mind, if people want to follow along with the project, I know you mm -hmm. have some social media yeah. uh, platforms they can follow. How can they do that? Boy, I should have wrote this down. So I, the one I know for sure is our Twitter account, which is at snow with a capital S and then impacts, I-M-P-A-C-T-S. Awesome. I follow, we follow here on the Carolina Weather Group, and I personally follow the, the snow impacts on Twitter. So great. get some great information there. You get some behind the scenes photos and things like that. So okay. Lynn, thanks so much for joining us. We want to thank you for watching the Carolina Weather Group, and we will see you on our next episode.